Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Extra Rounds podcast. As always, your co-hosts here, Mike Dice. Elias. And we got Mike P working the uh, ones and twos over there, answering <laughs> questions in the chat. So if you're watching, make sure to drop some questions in. We'll try, try to do our best to answer your questions throughout the show. Um, anyways, let's get started talking about uh, the world of MMA. We have Clay Guida calling in um, at about half hour past the... Uh, wherever you are three thirty <laughs> eastern two thirty central half hour from about now yeah that's another good way of putting it um but before we get into the ufc talk i did want to mention one thing fan sided is looking for our fan of the year um we this title we've crowned every year this will be the third year we've crowned it you can win a trip to new york you get to go to the sports illustrated wow. person of the year sports person of the year ceremony it's a big deal you get to walk the red carpet you get to rub elbows with um like people like lebron james and jay-z and all that so it, it's a really cool thing so uh, as MMA fans, it'd be cool to see an MMA fan get selected for it um, and give these team sports a run for their money. So, anyways, let's talk some UFC and some MMA. Let's start off with Michael Bisping. UFC 217 is kind of the biggest thing we got looming, even though we had an event this weekend yep. in Sao Paulo. It's it's basically UFC 27 buildup. In, in WWE, this would be the road to WrestleMania. Yeah, if we were going that yeah, way, Bisping and St. Pierre make appearances. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, they're I mean, they're doing press conferences in Toronto, and mm-hmm. all you know, it's not quite Maymac World Tour or even <laughs> UFC 189 World Tour, but still, they're they're making appearances. Anyways, Bisping has this podcast. I don't know if you've any if you've listened to it. Believe you me, podcast. Uh, it's pretty good. You should check it out. But he says that the UFC is rooting for George St. Pierre to win, and I want to know if you think that's right or wrong. I think, uh, you know, I, I think it's – there's I, I can see where Michael Bisping would be coming from overall. Uh, George St. Pierre has been a, a huge company man for well over a decade, uh, one of the biggest superstars they've they've ever had in, in, the, in the organization. However, the UFC uh, has not seemed super excited about him over the last year when he wanted more money, different concessions, when he uh, thinking about coming back for the last – since he since he retired, Dana White, the president of the UFC, has been trashing him pretty regularly, um, saying he's not a, he's not a real fighter and he doesn't really want to fight anymore. All sorts of weird stuff, saying it'll be hard to promote him. So, I, I don't know that that's I don't know that that's right. Um, I don't know that the UFC knows what to do with this matchup overall. I'm not sure they realize what they have in their hands. They haven't been promoting it very well, which is strange considering you have a bona fide international star and a real popular guy in Michael Bisping and one of the the, the all-time most popular MMA fighters in history, George St. Pierre, coming back and then fighting in, in a market like New York. It's, it's kind of strange. So, I don't know. I can see where Bisping's coming from. He, he might have inside information. Uh, he's also just like a generally pretty, around fight time, pretty uh, irritable angry, <laughs> uh, emotional guy. Uh, and uh, so I don't know if he's basing that off of things he's been hearing or, or ways he's been treated, in which case he would have great insight into that, way better than, than I would, or if he's just needs that edge to feel like I'm an underdog, even though he's a champion and the bigger man and, and all that stuff. He needs to feel like uh, he has some extra little um, grain irritating him to, to help motivate him. It's a good question, though. Yeah, the... I don't think it's wrong. It's an interesting point that you mentioned wanting to keep the edge. That was something I hadn't really considered. Um, as far as Bisping, everybody's looking for motivation. But I do think he's right because you have Bisping saying he could retire if he wins. Yeah. So there's no guarantee that he sticks around. Sure. And if George St. Pierre wins, he sticks around. I don't think he will. You don't think he will? Yeah, but he could. Yeah. I right. think he will. Yeah. And, and part of Bisping's explanation um, about why he thinks that would be, and I'll read the quote. He says, uh, he keeps talking about in the contract in the contract that I fight Whitaker, but he ain't, he ain't going to fight Whitaker if it's in the contract or not. Yada, yada, yada. He says, uh, he can do something like basically say, I don't want to. Um, and then yeah. he says he thinks he's going to try and fight Tyron Woodley and maybe eventually Conor McGregor and then retire mm-hmm. after making a bunch of money in that fight. And I don't think that's crazy because if you're the UFC, like, isn't that kind of what you're hoping for? Mm. Like, you can tow the Whitaker line all you want, but, like, think about if he beats Bisping, he's the middleweight champion, fourth fighter in history to win two belts simultaneously, mm. or to win two belts. To, to all, yeah. He can then drop down and try and fight Woodley. Right. And if he wins, then he'd become the second fighter in UFC history to win two belts, or to hold two belts simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Then he could challenge Conor McGregor. Now, he probably can't go lower than 170. Yeah. Or if they do a catch late lower than 170, that's ridiculous. But then, 
so let's say he fights Connor at 170. Well, now you have the two only two fighters in UFC history who've held two belts simultaneously yeah. fighting. George St. Pierre, Conor McGregor, two biggest pay-per-view draws, and Conor McGregor could potentially be fighting for a third title. Yeah. Now, I, know, I understand there's, like, a lot of what-ifs and variables to getting to that point, but, like, if you're the UFC, isn't that kind of what you're like? You would think so, and here's the thing. Like, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. The problem is I, I think we've been given good indication that George absolutely wants to fight Bisping, and then, he, and then I mean, I, the Woodley thing, I don't, I don't know. I, we'll see, but I, I think he definitely wants to fight Conor McGregor next. I, I've... I felt for a while that his plan was Bisping, uh, then McGregor. And um, his camp for years has said he could fight at, at, at lightweight, and they've said it. They've been saying it recently, too. So maybe he could fight McGregor for the world title at, li- at lightweight, or maybe they could meet some catchweight or, or even at even at welterweight just as a super match. Um, so that if I think the UFC has been aware of that, but the UFC has still not shown much enthusiasm about George lately. So... They should want that, Mike. It's a huge thing. They should want to make this guy feel welcome, do all they could to re-promote him and set up these huge fights. But they've not really shown, in my view, this is completely subjective, not really shown that type of enthusiasm. So I'm, I'm a bit confused. I don't disagree at all with, like, the plausibility of what you just laid out. To me, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if George wants to fight Woodley or not. Maybe he would. Maybe he wouldn't. But I, I am... <laughs> pretty sure he wants to find Conor McGregor um so so yeah I think I think that's a very likely scenario just I haven't seen like the enthusiasm from from the UFC for that so it'll be interesting so no I I think you're right that maybe maybe when I said I didn't think George would stick around I meant I don't think he'll stick around a middleweight but I think he'll I I, you know if he wins I think he would stick around for some of those types of fights like you're saying I do agree with that yeah yeah, it'll be interesting to see what happens one way or the other. But, you know, you, you talked about promotion of this fight, and, and I've been kind of critical of it. Um, I don't feel like they've under-promoted Bisping GSP. Mm. It seems like they've done the normal UFC job as far as promoting it. We've seen them go above and beyond, and I feel like they've gone slightly above and beyond in this one. Mm. You know, they had the press conference back uh, in the spring. In the You know, I don't even remember what it was what event it was but it was at the beginning of um the year mm. in um las vegas right. then they had the second press conference in las vegas they've had the press conference in toronto they've kind of made the media rounds in new york it's kind of the normal thing yeah what, but what really baffles me though is like you have a guy who could retire if he loses a guy who said he's considering retiring if he wins and you have a young star cody garbrandt a former champion and young guy in tj dillashaw Joanna on the cusp of history and rose um you know a young star it's like market that a little bit more and put some you know the the trailers like the trailers and promotions of all folks around bisping gsp but like those are some young names and if you invest in promoting those people that's that pays off beyond just this event you know what i mean it puts them it puts people on their on their radar i think you're i think you're totally right about that do we have any questions mike p yeah we actually have two in regards to what you guys are talking about with uh gsp and bisping um i'm gonna butcher this name so (laughs) sorry uh akilish uh wants to know at what way do you think gsp would walk in in his fight against bisping would he bloat himself to even the weight skills or would he go for efficiency and give up considerable weight great question what do you think? I'll let you answer first. Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I've never gotten a real good feel for GSP's walk around weight. They've always been very, they've all, they've always been very mysterious. Him when he talks about it, Faraz, Javi, his coach, um, they would say things like, you know, George, even though he's, you know, he's he's a very muscular guy, that he wasn't a very big. Uh, welterweight, they would also say things like he could fight at, at uh, lightweight. And they also said things like he needed to put on a lot of weight uh, to get up to 185. But when they said that, I don't know if they meant, hey, we want George to like walk around at 200, 200 pounds and, and drop 15 pounds of water weight. It looks like that could be exactly where he's around. I mean, 200, 205 pounds, and then he's going he's gonna to actually be cutting water weight. I would imagine George is going to be doing some type of weight cut, meaning – Extreme dehydration right before the fight to make weight. I don't. I, I don't imagine he's going to be. He's walking around at 185 right now, because I think he was already walking around at that. His whole. If I had to guess, his whole welterweight career. For them to say he needed to put on weight, and he does look bigger now than he than he used to be. So I bet he's going to be cutting weight. 
Um, if it, is it as much as middleweights usually cut? Probably not. You know, some middleweights walk around at 225 and then they start dieting down and then they do a big, you know, 20 pound weight cut. Um, so I think he'll be giving up height and, and some weight, but I, I bet, I bet he's, I bet Mike that he's been, uh, that he's, he's bigger than he used to be and he's going to have to do some type of water weight cut. That's, that's my guess. Yeah. I think he'll do some kind of weight cut. He, like you said, I think he probably walked around at 185 during his welterweight days and he definitely wants to put on some kind of size. I don't think you want to walk in at like fight weight against the guy who used to fight at light heavyweight. Right. But at the same time, you don't want to get so much bigger that it become it makes you immobile or less efficient. Like we've seen fighters who've moved up in weight class. Conor McGregor said going into UFC 202 um, or two, 196, no, maybe it was 202 that, or 196, one of the two when he was fighting Nate Diaz at 170 that he was going in and he was eating steak and eating good and all this and that and it affected him in the fight fighting at that weight class because he was carrying that much weight. You know, you so... You know, I, I imagine he's put on some weight, yeah. but not a whole lot where it's going to could potentially mm-hmm. hamper him. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who wouldn't think this through right. in that regard. Right. Like, it wouldn't be like a guy who's like, I'm going to start lifting weights to get up to 220 and then, you know, or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, so I guess uh, that's our general sense of it. Um, it's a good question. I'll, I'll throw out, I, I'm guessing maybe uh, maybe he'll walk in at. He'll be walking, fighting at like 198. I'll just say that arbitrary. 198? Yeah. I, I'm thinking somewhere between 190 and 195. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah. So we're not, we're not too, too far off. But yeah, those are a lot of those, depending on dehydrated you are, that's a, there's a big difference still if you got to sweat that off. So yeah, pretty interesting. I wonder, it might be too late, but we should try to get Farah Sahabi on again before the fight. Um, and he, he won't like tell us, but maybe we can, we can beat around, he can, we could get him to beat around the bush enough where we can glean something more. But good question. They're 10 days away, so they yeah. could be preparing to cut weight right now. Right now, right now, yeah. Uh, so we'll, I guess we'll see. We'll find yeah. out on that when, when they weigh in. What do you think, Mike? Um, I'm going to have to go with the ladies here. I think, you know, he'll probably come in with a little bit of weight. Um, I do expect him to cut, uh, not crazy weight, but, um, you know, it's, it's interesting when you, when you see fighters jump up a weight class, how they do manage, um, their weight going into this fight. I mean, the last, what, two, three weeks, that's all we've been talking about in this sport, going back to Kevin Lee and Tony Ferguson is weight cutting. So I think he'll come in a little over, um, but I don't think that he's going to be cutting like, a lot of weight. Yeah. All right. I'm outvoted. You said there was a second question? <laughs> yes, there was. Um, Ethan wants to know, don't you get you guys think that Tyron Woodley would dominate a fight against GSP? <sighs> um, that's tough. Uh, I, I'm not a guy who's overly critical of Tyron Woodley. I think Tyron Woodley is a really great fighter, and I think more importantly, he's a really smart fighter. And I know a lot of people have felt like his three title defenses have been boring, but he's been smart about it. And in a lot of ways... Um, Anderson Silva kind of received criticism that way for his time. Like he didn't necessarily, if like the guy, if his opponent wasn't going to push forward and, you know, challenge him, Anderson Silva wasn't going to unnecessarily push forward and put himself in danger as well. He was comfortable waiting till you, um, till you made that happen. Yeah. I mean, think about it. We saw that with when he fought Nick Diaz, right? Um, was a after his title career. Yeah. You know, he, Nick Diaz is standing there waiting for Anderson to come forward and Anderson circling, waiting for him to come forward. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I think Tyron Willie's a smart fighter, and I think he's a, a lot bigger than people. I, well, people know that he's he's a big guy, mm-hmm. but I think he's a lot bigger than George St. Pierre. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a guy who I think walks around at 205, and we're talking about maybe GSP walking around at that weight for a middleweight fight, mm-hmm. you know. So it's interesting. I think, you know, George St. Pierre has always been kind of tied to his wrestling, and I, I think wouldn't you have to give Tyron Woodley the advantage there? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I think I can't know the answer to that really good sub-question or the overall question until I see where George is at right now with his reflexes. I mean, we just have no clue. He's, t- he's had a really long career. He's taken punishment probably mostly in, in training, and we don't know if it's what he says where you know he was – taking more and more damage in his last few fights and because he just his mind wasn't in it as much he was stressed and now he feels free and and that's all it was um if he hasn't aged or slowed at all in four years that that would be pretty remarkable i think gsp in his prime would take down tyron woodley and and everyone who's ever fought at welterweight uh i have no real doubt about that he's taken down 
more accomplished and better wrestlers than him. Josh Koscheck was like a four-time All-American. He was a two-time national champion, like, and he took him down. I, he would in his prime, he would take down Tyron Woodley. I don't think it would be easy. I don't think Woodley would stay there, but I think he would do it. But I don't know where GSP is not in his prime. I don't know where he falls. It's a, in their prime. It would be. I don't know who I would pick. It's a tough. It's a tough matchup. I would. I would think like George could could jab and maybe you know um, is a slightly more well-rounded grappler. Impress him against the cage, and it'd be a tough match. But uh, but I just don't know if he's if he's in his prime now. I would pick Woodley. I don't know if I would pick him to dominate because I don't know where George is. Yeah, I would pick the current welterweight champion of the world versus a guy who hasn't fought in four years. And you know, you're talking about uh, Josh Koscheck. He's also Matt Hughes, another yeah, wrestler yeah, wrestler. But wrestler, you know, sure. Woodley I think has like one of the highest takedown defense. Uh, percentages. Yeah, very few people shoot on in him. The use. Yeah, Damian Maya yeah. shot it, and that's probably it. But he's great. No, he's great. Like I'm not saying he's not a great wrestler. He right. might be a better MMA wrestler than Josh Koscheck. I don't. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's tough to say. Um, There's still a lot of question marks, though. Yeah. Like you said about George Napier, because we haven't seen him in action. We don't know. I mean, he might lose, and then this is all a conversation. Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. Um, all good right. Question though. Yeah, that was a good question. I have to pick Woodley, but I don't know if I pick him to dominate. And keep the questions coming, guys. Yeah. Uh, you know. Before we move on, are there any other questions? Yeah, we actually have two more. Um, we have one here about a man that we talked to, no, or that you guys talked to not too long ago, Colby Covington, who obviously fights Damian Maya on Saturday. Kyle wants to know if he defeats Maya, where do you see him settling in the water, uh, welterweight rankings? That's interesting. Darren Till just beat Donald Cerrone and went from unranked to eight. Mm-hmm. So we've discussed many times about the rankings on the show and how. Uh, what kind of stock you should take into him. So, you know, who knows? Like, Darren Till could be out of the rankings in a month mm-hmm. just because of inactivity. Like, mm-hmm. it's that crazy. But there's a lot of UFC welterweight fights happening that pitting the top. Like, I think out of uh, the top 12, like, most of the people were booked going into this Darren Till Cerrone fight. Like, you have Lawler and Dos Anjos, Thompson and Masvidal. Um, Usman just got booked to fight. Mm-hmm. You know, like every, there's a bunch of all the people in the top 15 for the most part are fighting each other. So I think if you win, realistically, you could expect to be in the top half of that because half of those people should be coming off a loss. Mm-hmm. Whether that actually happens or not, that's not the case. But I think he could very well expect to be top 10. You know, and if Darren Till went from unranked to number eight, I think he should expect to be in the top eight. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I agree with that in principle. I would probably take it a, a, a step further. If Colby Covington beats Damian Maya, he's, in the, he's well in the top five. Like, Damian Maya um, empirically has proven himself to be at worst the third best, the welterweight in, in the world right now. If you, if you beat him after he just went the, uh, went the distance with the champion and didn't get hurt real bad or anything like that, then you've earned his spot. I think that's the way it works. I think um, – you know, I, I think uh, I, I think um, what's this, this the uh, the British gentleman who lives in uh, Brazil, Darren Till. Darren Till absolutely deserves to be in the top ten. If you if you if you smoke and brutalize Donald Cerrone with ease at this point, even though he was coming off of losses, yeah, he should be in the should be in the top ten. I thought it was a rough fight for um, Cerrone to take to begin with. So yeah, no, I'm I'm I'm, I'm with you. This this should shoot Covington. You know, otherwise, what the, what the hell do you have to do? Otherwise, everyone's going to be in a Damian Maia position when you have to win 45 fights in a row to get a title shot. It's insane. Like, if you don't yeah. get a – who's he going to fight after he beats – if he beats Damian Maia? He's going to fight a number 12 guy? Then it's all, it's all risk with no reward. So, um, I mean, clearly the UFC's not following our advice in this. They have Lawler, Dos Anjos, you know, a, 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 former cha- a great former champion in Lawler who has, you know, been relatively inactive over the last two years overall – um, I guess, or a year and a half. He's he just won a like a contested fight against Cerrone, and he's fighting a, a light former lightweight champion. I'm not quite sure why that is a number one contender's fight, according to, to Dana White. So, but yeah, I think we're on the same page in principle here. You beat the guy or the gal, you deserve their spot if so it's a fair fight. You were impressed with Darren Till's performance then. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean he went in there and just took the center of the ring and just he walked down. So we call walking down a guy. He walked, he put his hands down, his chin up. But doesn't he that, knew he was so much better of a, of a striker, and he's walked him down. And but isn't that also kind of like the blueprint to beat Donald Cerrone? Sure, but how many people have done it? Not many. Nate Diaz did. Yeah, I don't. 
Uh, Lawler tried and it was a disputed. It wasn't like a very close fight. Like every, after someone does it, everyone's like, "Yeah, that's how you do it." Go ahead and try to walk down Donald Cerrone. See how see how good you have to be able to be able to do that. See how well and to be aggressive the way Darren Till was, plus avoid takedowns and get up the one time he was taken down. Super super difficult. Believe me, everyone's known that. For Nate Diaz beat Cerrone a long time ago. If everyone could have done it again the way he did it, they would have done it. Like it's a very difficult thing to do. Do you think there's an aura, of, like an aura of Cerrone that makes people hesitant? To do I it? bet. I bet. Yeah, I bet for a lot of people. I think that was it. Darren Till didn't. Darren Till saw past. He's young. And the greatness. Fearless. He is, and he knows that. He's like 24. Yeah, I bet he feared the grappling, and he trained his wrestling. But and he lives in Brazil. I bet he has a lot of great grappling every day for a number of years. But I think he knew. He saw. You know. F- he knows Donald Cerrone, although he's a great grappler, is known as a kickboxer. And he knew he's a better kickboxer than Donald Cerrone. Like, he, knew, he knows that. He knows that because of his own Muay Thai experience. So I guess, yeah, he, he, I'm sure he, he had to get over that psychologically, thinking, oh, this is a guy that's famous, that's done so much in the UFC, to be like, all right, listen, I got to keep this guy off my legs and my hips. Yep, I got to get back up, sure. Other than that, if I were on our feet, I know I'm better than him. Um, so yeah, that takes a lot of confidence. I was very impressed with Darren Till's uh, experience with his, his performance, most mostly from the start because of it showed that he he wasn't intimidated by by Donald Cerrone. It takes a lot to not be. I mean, who who are the people that don't like have a little pause with with him with Donald Cerrone in recent years? I don't know, like Dos Anjos, uh, Nate Diaz, Robbie Lawler. You know, it's it's very hard to beat the man. Like as often as he fights, he loses very infrequently and multiple divisions. So. Uh, Dana White tweeted a picture of Darren Till and said the future. Yeah. Do you think Darren Till is the future of the welterweight division? Well, I think he's. I think he's an amazing prospect in there. I think if you if you beat if you really beat up Donald Cerrone like that, and here's the thing: like from a technical uh, from a technical standpoint, Donald Cerrone became uh, he he was he was he was uneasy very quickly in that fight. He realized he didn't have many answers. Uh, and you you get you you know you feel that right away depending on the angles the guy's giving you what they're what they're taking from you um, what they're giving to you and he was very uneasy from the start so I think Darren Till is absolutely um, one of the one of the best prospects at, at that division along with guys like Covington and so I think it's a very healthy division and you know he's he's a multilingual charismatic dude so he's got that end covered uh, Darren Till and I think yeah I think he is I think he has a bright future I think he should continue along that path as opposed to like taking the bait from Mike Perry and finding Mike Perry for some reason. Unless Mike Perry works his way up the rankings. I don't know why he would do that. <laughs> Darren Till so, should be calling for top five dudes. I, so that was the big like confrontation afterwards. I wrote about this in the column that's going to go up tomorrow. Uh, I wrote about that, that thing. And, and it would be absolutely insane for Darren Till to be like, sure, I'll fight yeah, Mike Perry. I agree. Because, I mean, as much as we talk about the rankings, Mike Perry's not ranked. Yeah. And he's not necessarily a, a big name yet like hardcore fans know who right. he is like he's kind of like a cult fan yeah, favorite yeah. at the yeah. moment right um and, and don't get me wrong it would be certainly entertaining Great and fight. i would be sure. absolutely stoked to watch it yeah but i think from like a career perspective it benefits darren till in no way to, to fight mike perry like it would benefit mike perry a lot to fight <laughs> darren till yeah, yeah. but not necessarily the other way i mean like you have this momentum i think you keep you keep going up the, uh, the chart you know like Jorge Masvidal fight, mm-hmm. you know, Stephen Thompson, you talk about his yeah. kickboxing, like yeah. th- those are both intriguing fights. Yeah, yeah. Um, Absolutely. So, yeah. That's I agree with you. Talk. I can't wait to wait, read that because, yeah, it sounds like I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. So, do we have any other questions? Uh, we do. Does Dar- From Ty, Ty wants to know if uh, Darren Till's win means less because Cerrone is in the midst of a losing streak. Um, I just want to add one thing. I yeah. completely disagree with you guys. Mm-hmm. I think Mike if you, Perry? Yes, I think if Darren Till calls on Mike Perry, they need to fight. That's it. He said they're destined to fight. They need to fight. Maybe, <laughs> maybe the cult Mike Perry fan of me is coming out right now because I would love that fight. Um, but that's all I got. But, yeah, Ty wants to know if Till's win means less uh, because Cerrone's in the midst of a losing streak. I think if you're like on the SureDog forums, Mike Perry, Darren Till, like really gets you excited. <laughs> I mean, it's a cool I fight. Think, I think if you I'd like casually it. follow like some MMA Twitter accounts, you know, and you you're paying attention to like the, the big title fights, like I don't know that that's on your radar. I mean, they legitimately like they did a good job of getting people excited about it because they're fucking at each other's throats and that you know, so that's cool and it's a great fight. But yeah, is it? I, I don't think it's. I, I don't agree with. I don't disagree with you, Pendleton. That it's like, hey, shoot! If they both want to fight each other, let's go. 
But I'm just saying, like, if I was Darren Till's manager, I'd be like, no, this doesn't it's benefit not you now. Anymore. Yeah, just the one way. It's a good fight, absolutely. The one way it benefits Darren Till is like if he goes in or if he goes in there and if he, he gets a first round finish oh, yeah. again, and yeah. it's like another highlight reel. And the Mike Perry's a big, you know, sure. And Mike Perry's not a no name, sure. no, know, no, but not he's, at all. Yeah. So like. If he goes in there and he finishes him in the first round or something like, then it's like, oh, okay, yeah, holy crap, right, right. Darren Till, like, get him, get him up there. It's a but, dangerous dude to try to get a highlight reel wit off of, though, in Mike Perry because he has power, you know. Yeah. Um, so the, I mean, to the question that we just just asked. Um, thanks for the question. I, it, you know, we're not, we're we're not in, we weren't into like. Let's look at the overall numbers. We're not, we weren't like. Uh, two years deep into some losing skid or something with Donald Cerrone, right? One of those, what is it? He was he lost two fights prior. One of those could have gone. One of those is arguably a bad decision against Robbie Lawler, who was recently, you know, in his last fight was 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 world champion. So if you look beneath the surface of the, the numbers themselves, it wasn't some big skid. Too, if you look below the numbers, and that's very important to do. Cerrone wasn't looking bad against people. I don't. I don't think against elite people very recently. So uh, no, I don't. I was very. I think it means a lot. Um, but if, you know, listen, if Donald Cerrone was the number one contender, it would it mean more. Sure. Sure. But I don't, I don't, I, I was very impressed with it. I didn't think, I didn't think many, I didn't think many people were giving Darren Till a, ch- a chance prior. And now everyone's saying it's like, doesn't mean too much. Yeah. You know, one of those losses is like you said, decision to former champion. Yeah. Not a bad loss. Right. Right. Um, he hasn't looked bad. That's the key. You know? Jorge Masvidal. You know, this is a guy fighting Stephen Thompson right. and putting his name in the title picture. Like, not a bad loss. Like, it's not like he's lost to, you know, people outside the top fifteen or, or top, top, top 10. ten or five. Like, those, yeah. are, those are all tough fights. Yeah. Like, that's that's it's a rough skid for him, but sure. it's not. Um, I don't think it's anything that diminishes it. You know. Yeah, it was no real indication that he was like done or anything. Losing to Mazdal, who's arguably already in the top five, uh, losing a, a controversial decision to Robbie Lawler. Right after Lawler was a champion, he didn't look bad. He didn't look bad. Just give the man the one sixty five pound division. <laughs> we need more division. I mean, we need divisions every every uh, five pounds, in my view. Um, I don't. You are definitely in the minority there. And, you know, it's so hard to like the one sixty five debate is like a huge thing right there. Yeah. And I, and I really don't understand any kind of argument against. Like yeah. I understand, there's an argument out there that it won't help solve weight cutting and i don't think you should look at any any move as like a a one decision fix to right. weight cutting no no you know what i mean but i think it's like something that could help it might alleviate. yeah and i'm also just a fan of like clean organization mm-hmm. and just like 155 165 175 it's just sure. so clean 185 sure I, no yeah. that's, like that's 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 a good thing for as well people throw out 225 like those are all future discussions but i think sure. like in the short term like it doesn't hurt to do 165 no it doesn't hurt to do any of these things uh, the only arguments against them are what like oh they're not a panacea for weight cutting fine i wasn't saying they were you know like you know but like the the other thing is like oh it's just too many divisions why what what, what about it is too many too many opportunities for fighters that work really really hard like I, I don't understand it's too hard to organize or keep track of boxing doesn't have that much of a problem boxing has a problem with the many different sanctioning organizations and but the weight classes themselves not a huge issue. You've got enough athletes to fill them. And these jumps, these these 15-pound jumps are huge jumps in weight class. It's absurd. It's absurd to have a uh, 155 to 170 jump, in my view, or, or 185 to 205, 20 pounds. It's just it borders on unprofessional. Like, if we're going to have weight classes, we, they, we, should, we should have them um, in a way that makes a, a bit more sense. I don't think they'll solve weight cutting. I don't think anything can solve people cutting too much weight or taking too many drugs. I don't think that's really something that can be done. But I think it'd just be fair. If you look at the makeup of, of the human athletic population, like these are some big jumps out there. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Well, do you want to see if we can get Clay on the phone? Let's see. Yeah, let's try. Um, while you're doing that, I, I will just mention that I think Mike from MMA Junkie, I think he did the, ran the numbers in like over 50% of the missed weights since they've changed the weight cutting system have occurred at lightweight and welterweight. Mm. So the 165 could help, could help those issues. And those, you know, 
anyways. That's good. I mean, we're going to see some really great action at 125 in the female division. Having a 115 to 135 drop was, or jump was, was really, really crazy. Um, I think, yeah, I think there's so many people that would have benefited. Misha Tate, who was already a two-time bantamweight world champion, she, pro- she probably should have been fighting at 125. Imagine the fights that she could have had there with other folks, maybe even at the end of her career, finding someone who also could go up like, like Joanna Jane Jancic or someone who also could have done, gone down like Valentina Shevchenko. Like it opens up, it opens up good op- opportunities and good, and good possibilities adding more weight classes in my view. We're going to try now. Clay was telling us shortly before the show went on he was going to be um, getting done with sparring, so we're going to set to give him a, a ring. We're going to try to get him on. Clay Guido, when's the date of their fight, Mike? Is that November 11th? Yep. Veterans Day in Norfolk. That's, That's right. going to be a fighting super Joel exciting car. card. One second. I'm trying to get you connected here. Hello, Clay. Can you hear us? Yeah. Hey, we're not live right now, are we? Oh, we're uh, we're yeah, we are. We're on. Is that cool? Yeah, I'm just walking out of the gym. If you guys don't mind giving me a minute to get into my truck here. No, it's all it's an authentic sound, man. That's cool. <laughs> not a problem. Well, at all. we can go ahead and we can roll with it, man. I'm ready when you are. Let's dive right in. Awesome, brother. Where where were you just getting out of? What gym were you just getting out of, man? It seems like from your Instagram, you've been in Southern California the last few days. Northern California, man. I'm up here with the Alpha Midgets in Sacramento. <laughs> Ultimate Fitness. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Uh, I, you know, one of the things that struck me, man, is that this fight, it's this great fight uh, that you got coming up November 11th against Joe Lozon, that it, that it hasn't been made before if you kind of think about it it's it's kind of amazing two of the most exciting fighters in the ufc's history two longtime top contenders you guys came into the ufc the same year uh were, were you surprised that this fight hadn't happened before was it was it ever like a, a an opportunity for this to have happened before yeah you know what i feel like maybe we've kind of been on a, a crash course and maybe just missed each other here by one fight you know like you know a win or a loss um it had never been offered to at least my, you know, our team. So uh, it's always a matchup we've been excited about. We have a lot of respect for Joe Lozon and his camp and, you know, his family. And, uh, you know, he's just an exciting guy to watch, you know. His performances speak for themselves. You know what I mean? The guy's got some of the most performance in the night bonuses, submission, all that stuff. So he's definitely a fan favorite. Um, Very, you know, he's a gentleman. He represents the division very well he represents the sport very well and his, his camp and his gym so um but yeah it's just kind of one of those it, it had never been offered to us so once it was um recently we jumped right at the opportunity and uh, we're very very excited about this matchup and about being able to fight on veterans day because to me that's what's most important being able to support the military, support the troops that make it possible for us. So that's what I'm super, super excited about more, you know, more, more than anything. And you've been doing it near the nation's capital. You fought, you fought near there uh, before. Is this, I was at least at one of your fights in Virginia. I don't know if you fought uh, over there um, in addition to that, but is that actually cool for you as well? Yeah, this one, uh, it's always cool to be able to fight in the capital and represent our country. You know, so, um, yeah, Fairfax was a couple years ago and now we're back, and we're in uh, Norfolk or Virginia Beach, so uh, it's, it's going to be pretty awesome, man. So I'm hoping that there is a large turnout of troops, of military, because they're the ones that really deserve the entertainment. They deserve the show because they sacrifice so much. Their family puts up with so much, you know, um, you know, with their traveling and them being gone and them being... Uh, you know, overseas, you know, representing the country and defending, you know, our freedom. So this one, uh, it's very special to, you know, to our heart because we have, you know, I have, you know, families in the military, just like most people do, you know, they, you know, they have families in the military. So this one, uh, extra, extra special for us. 
you know what one of the, if the if the fans who uh who have been smart enough to follow you on social media one of the things they probably noticed in the last couple of weeks is if they didn't know before clay is what a, what a huge uh, chicago team sports fan you are you're out there in california but you were still making your way towards uh to, to cubs games obviously we had uh, a little bit of heartbreak they're not gonna be able to defend but you're following it closely i mean what was that like to be following it so intently um in a training camp, was it a nice thing to distract you from the monotony and the grind of it? Was it distracting at all? I mean, what was it like being a was it was it like being a Cubs fan in training camp this, these last few weeks and months? Oh yeah, it was awesome, man. It was special. Um, people who know me or people who don't know me and just you know kind of check out our stuff, you know, on social media, uh, they can tell I'm I'm a I'm a sports nut, you know, it's like they say on Adventure, but I'm a huge, huge Cubs fan, you know. Um, and I say this a lot to, you know, in either baseball stories that I sell or to, to you know, athletes that I talk to or maybe, you know, if I see the Cubs, I tell them, or people in, in, uh, involved with the Cubs organization. One of my very first memories as a child, as a human, which I don't know, you know, I, I want to say, I, I know this, I was in a stroller, so I hope I wasn't one of those kids that was, like, I hope I wasn't one of the four and five-year-olds in a stroller, you know what I mean, like the little spoiled brats that, you know, big mommy and daddy won't carry them, but they'll put them in a stroller while they're too big, but I want to say I was probably about two years old, and I remember being in left field, and my parents had me in a stroller up against the brick, and I remember seeing Andre Dawson, you know, this is big big black guy, larger than life, you know, just muscles on top of muscles and just a smile on his face. And I remember I was literally the front tire of the stroller were touching the brick and all I wanted to do. And I remember seeing the bright green ivy in, in the outfield. And I was just like, this is the coolest place. It looked like a huge playground. And that was one of my first memories, of, you know, the child. Wow. And it just stood out to me. The greens and the, you know, the red, white, and blue and just the Cubs uniforms and it was just, I couldn't say anything because I probably couldn't talk then, but maybe because uh, it was just such a cool, cool memory that it's so vivid in my mind and it'll be like that forever. And I tell that to, you know, to every time, like I said, I talk to someone in the Cubs organization. Um, I told Dana White that when he bought, well, last year he bought my father and I, you know, uh, tickets to game three of the World Series, oh, wow. you know, because he is, he's a huge Cubs fan because his uh, father-in-law is from, Chicago, and uh, so right, he also Daniel came out to Daniel came out to game three and four, and he got to do the pre the pregame with whatever it was Fox Sports or whatever uh, network he was on. They had him do uh, like the analyst, you know, analytics or whatever before you know <laughs> the commentary. So um, that was awesome, and it was just it was such a special time for the Cubs. It was such a special time for my family, and it was really cool to be to be part of that experience and. Uh, the Cubs had a great season, man. You know what I mean? It's it's one of the hardest things to repeat a championship in an individual sport, let alone a team sport. I mean, it's almost it's improbable. You yeah. very rarely see it happening. And to see uh, the Cubs get as far as they did this year, you know, it it defeats a lot of the um, MLB analysts. They they predicted the Cubs not even to make the playoffs this year, and then. For them to beat the Washington Nationals, for them to go a few games with, you know, the Dodgers who were just loaded up. This has been one of the greatest teams we've seen in a while. You know, it was, uh, it was another great season. So nothing, nothing to be, uh, you know, the Cubs should definitely not hang their heads. You know, we're coming back next year with the Vengeance. That's a, that was a cool story you shared, though. Your first memory, I never knew that about you. You know, there, there, every, we're at, we, 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 uh, we do the show here out of Chicago, obviously, where we're from. And and uh, everyone, everyone in Chicagoland has a Clay Guido story. You're talking about your Andre Dawson story. But a big part of that, Clay, is because, you you know, I talk to people, people come up or people post on social media like, oh, I saw Clay at the Cubs game. I saw Clay at the Bears game. I saw I saw Clay at this concert or this and that. And, and you know, I've been around you at some of these moments and, and seen or heard for, for many, many more. But you also just seem, A, you're, you're, you're just part of – part of the crowd there and and b you always have time for people it seems i don't know how you do it is that something that you enjoy is when when folks are coming up to you and and want to 
want to hang out with you, take pictures and stuff. I've, ne- I've never seen you turn down people or, or also like I've never seen you even like not let them completely monopolize your time. <laughs> Is that something that's been fun for you once you became a professional athlete on TV and all that? You know what? It's just uh, to me that's what it's all—it's what it's all about, man. It's about the experience. I enjoy it, and I want to make other people's experience—you know—you um, know, fun for them. You know, fans, friends, family, whatever it may be. Uh, you know, I want them to have a story to tell. Or, you know, even if it's just hey, I—I I saw a claim, I gave him a high five. Maybe <laughs> we didn't have time, you know. To talk, but just something, something small that they can tell their friends, their family, you know, their kids someday. And uh, you know, I don't hold myself um, in the same regard as like superstars, you know, because there's sports, you know, there's athletes that I put up on a whole, whole different level, you know, as far as accomplishments. But uh, uh, you know, it's cool to be able to have, uh, you know. People come back and tell the stories, and then my parents hear about that, and they think, ah, you know, we taught our kids well. That's what it's all about is, you know, our fans are the ones that make it possible for us, you know, um, to be able to do this sport and, you know, put on a show for them. So it's, uh, I definitely, I'm always excited to go out and shake hands and talk with anybody, you know. I have time, if I don't have time, I make time, you know. They go out of their way to spend money on tickets, to spend money on those pay-per-views on their capabilities to watch us. So, man, I want to pay for it. I want to pay it back to them 10 times. You know, that way they continue to watch the sport grow and they continue to be entertained. And uh, we're blessed to do what we do. So I always have time for, you know, friends, fans, family, and uh, people that support us. Hey Clay, it's uh, it's Mike here. So we always have this in office. <laughs> we always have this in office discussion about uh, where the best seat in Wrigley is. If you're going to Wrigley, where are you sitting? Oh boy, <laughs> that's a tough one, man. Because Wrigley is such a legendary stadium. They call it the friendly confines for a reason. And I'm trying to think in sports. You know, there's not many really really cool nicknames like that. You know, you got the, the frozen tundra up in Lambo. <laughs> to me, that just, that just sounds, doesn't even sound like fun. And I've been to <laughs> Lambo when it's been freezing. I've been to soldier field when there's been ice in the seats and there's nothing fun about it, man. You know what I mean? But something about the, you know, the friendly confines, it just, it makes you feel welcome. It gives you comfort, you know, and you could be, a Cardinals fan, which is, you know, one of the biggest rivalries in baseball, the Cubs, the Cardinals, um, the, uh, the Cubs and the Pirates is another, um, you know, rivalry. So it's, you always, you always feel welcome, whether you're the visitor or whether you're, you know, uh, a White Sox fan and there's that kind of rivalry, you know, um, there is not a bad seat in the house. Even when you're up in the nosebleeds and, you know, uh, coming from a you know, lower middle class family, you know, we didn't know, you know, my parents, my old man was used to, you know, going up to the box office and buying the, the five and $8 tickets, you know, for his family that could barely, you know, and he, we would, you know, he would sneak in, you know, lunch meat sandwiches to be able to feed the family because they couldn't afford the Chicago dogs and stuff like that. So, but there was, you know, we always had a great time no matter what. Um, as far as, you know, the best seat in the house, it's cool being, you know, behind home plate, things like that, because you get to see the pitches from a different angle. But I kind of always like uh, being up the first base or the third base side on the, on the brick, because like I said, that was my first memory as a human and uh, my first baseball memory. So there's always, you know, that, that um, just that view. And not to mention you're, you're in foul ball territory, but then uh, a lot of people love the bleachers. You know, it could be a mess. It's a, it's a huge party out there, too. <laughs> you know, the bleachers, it's kind of a free-for-all. You know, it's uh, it gets pretty wild. There's no really assigned seats. It's first come, first serve. Um, and people are tripping on each other, falling all over, spilling beers, spilling nachos, spilling hot dogs on each other. Um, so, you know, there's the, the bleacher people, um, the bleacher bums, whatever you want to call them. But I've always been a, a big fan of, um, the you know, the third base side or the first base side up on the brick because, you know, um, your chances you're getting a foul ball are very high. And, uh 
it's just a cool, cool angle, um, you know, to see a game from. And before we let you go, I'd love to get your opinion on something that we were discussing before you came on. Uh, we were talking about the discussion about weight classes and 165. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on the one, oh, potential 165-pound division? 165? You mean removing 170 and bringing it down to 165 or what? I think the people saying that they would add 165 and move 170 to 175. So it would go 145, 155, 165, 185. Is there, that what you're saying? And there'd be a 175. Okay. Oh, 175. Yeah, I understand. You know what? The 10 pound increments, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Instead of it going, you know, 155 and then a 15 pound jump to 170. Um, I kind of like that, but you know what? I And people have been talking about this for years. Everyone wants to see the big guys bang. I would love to see a 225-pound weight mm. class so we can see a more – don't get me wrong. Daniel Cormier is you know, one of the most savage dudes out there. When he makes his weight cut, he still puts on a show at 205. But I look at the damage he did at heavyweight against these giants, and he lifted some of these guys up and threw them on their head. I, it would be awesome to see a, a Daniel Cormier and a John Jones at 225. Mm. It would be awesome to see a Cain Velasquez – uh, Frank Mir, I believe, could make a 225 uh, back in his heyday. Uh, Randy Couture would have been a yeah. killer at 225, I believe. Some of these guys, Forrest Griffin, mm. Tito Ortiz, some of these dudes that are just giants at at, at light heavyweight. Mm. Uh, you know, Chuck Liddell, some of these new guys. I feel like, um, you know, an Arlovsky could have been a killer at 225. Um, this dude, Fran- Francis Ngannou, I don't know what that dude, but, I mean, he would <laughs> He's just a scary human, you know what I mean? To see him, see him at 225, man, it's lights out for anyone that gets in there with him. So I think, I think I'd think i be more interested in seeing that. You know, don't get me wrong, I love the light, the littler guys, you know what I mean? Just being being one of them, I'm always going to be partial to seeing, you know, littler dudes, um, middle middle class, middle weights and, and down, it's always fun. But, man, seeing some of these uh, – I want to see more international wrestlers come over to the mm. sport of mixed martial arts. Mm. Some of these hidden gems in Russia and Dazakstan, all these hidden guys that are dominant wrestlers. Uh, I'd love to see a, you know, um, excuse me, a Kyle Snyder. I don't know if you guys follow mm. wrestling at all, but if you guys know who Kyle Snyder is, to me, he's the most yeah, that'd be crazy. unbelievable athlete we've seen in two years. This kid has won a couple NCAA titles, two, maybe three. He's won two world championships and he's won an Olympic title all within 12, 24, yeah, 24 months. Yeah, we're talking two years. This kid has just done unbelievable things in the sport of wrestling. And yeah, he doesn't need mixed martial arts, you know what I mean? But it'd be, it'd be cool to see some of these other wrestlers, you know what I mean? Um, you know, just pure wrestlers come over and see what they can do in the sport of mixed martial arts. And I tell you what, man, I think they would just dominate the sport. So. Um, yeah, I can see the 10 pound increments being, you know, being fun and it's always, you know, cool to add in, you know, another lightweight class, but I would be more interested to see, um, you know, some of these bigger guys who heavyweights a little out of the, out of the range and light heavyweights a little too tough of a cut for them and 225, man, I think it'd be, it'd be awesome for some of these guys. Uh, Clay, I wanted to follow up on that real quick. Uh, I, I was super interested in what you're saying about getting more international wrestlers. Two things kind of popped in my mind. One is... Do you, what do you think it would take to, to get them over? Um, and then, and two, do you, do you feel in your experience that any, any high level, um, wrestler can be a, a good MMA fighter? I, I know obviously they have the physical stuff, but do, do all of them have the mental like interest in, in hitting someone or some types of wrestlers, just not really the type of mentality that would make for a good fighter? It's a great question. I think, Mentally, I think that our wrestlers, the training, the discipline, the commitment, them being through the fire a thousand times on the mat, they, I believe that wrestlers have the, the mental capacity for it. I believe they have the, the, um, the mental game for it. It's going to be the transitioning. And obviously, you know, because I'm a wrestler, I'm partial to it, you know, um, there's no wrestling, there's no shape like wrestling shape. 
Um, the foundation, I believe, of mixed martial arts is wrestling. It is the oldest sport, you know, in, in the world. Um, I don't know that, um, you know, the, the striking is always, the, you know, going to be the, the, the next transition for the wrestlers. Um, I've always believed it goes wrestling, jiu-jitsu, then, then striking. You know, at least that's how it was for me. The jiu-jitsu came naturally, even though, you know, I've been submitted a few times, but I always felt like my top game, you know, was always stronger than my, you know, than my striking, and my striking is improving every day. But, um, yeah, I definitely believe that wrestlers have the edge mentally over, a, you know, over a striker coming into mixed martial arts hmm. or a kid that never wrestled and he's 21 now or he's 18 and he's trying to pick up the wrestling background. I, it, to me, it's the hardest one to pick up because it requires so much discipline and so much commitment, you know, and just fair grit toughness. You know, that's why it is. You see the Dave Schultz, you know, uh, the Dan Gables, uh, the K.O. Sanderson, the Jordan Burroughs, um, the Brands brothers. Like, these guys are just tough as nails, and uh, it, it's a different sport, and I feel like, Wrestlers have the edge mentally just because we've been through it over and over and over again. Are most wrestlers going to find success right away or at all in this sport of mixed martial arts? Maybe, maybe not. But I would put my money on a wrestler before I put it on any other discipline. That's awesome. Clay, man, it's been a real pleasure talking with you, brother. Thanks for spending all this time with us, man. We, we can't wait to watch you fight, as always. We wish you the best with the rest of camp and uh, for the fight itself, my man. Yes, you're like a brother, man. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, what are we going on, since 04, 05? Yeah, like man. That, right? Yeah, in the gym, I think it was, yeah, it was right before a King of the Cage uh, fight of yours when you, we started training, yeah. <laughs> Back to four days, so, man, I, I appreciate it. Thank you for always supporting uh, my family, myself, our camps, our training, and uh, I appreciate uh, you guys making time for us, and um, thank you for everything, man, and uh, Veterans Day is right around the corner. We got two and a half weeks till uh, till fight night, man, and I can't wait to get in there. It's going to be awesome. So once again, thank you guys so much, and um, guys, keep an eye on all, all the guys at uh, at uh, Team Alpha Male, all the wrestlers back home, you know that uh, you know that help train. And uh, you guys haven't heard, you know, I got a company I started about a year ago now, MaxEverMuscle.com. Check it out, guys. Uh, we got we're not just a supplement line; we're a supplement brand. We have training tips diet tips, uh, motivational, you know, ideas, tips, things like that. Um, so go check it out, MaxSuppleMuscle.com, guys. And once again, thank you, Elias, and, uh, for all your guys' time. Hey, thank you, Clay. Anytime, brother. Take care. All right. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Yeah, that's actually, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. That's kind of a, it's a fun, it's a fun little thing they got going on there. Max Effort Muscle, um, Clay's all, like every day he's putting videos up. Funny stuff, useful stuff, motivational stuff. Uh, it's, it's, it's pretty cool. And I've used some of their stuff. It's, it's pretty good supplements. He's a great social media follow too. Like yeah. one, of, one of my memories from his social media that always stands out is the, uh, the saga of his stolen Bronco. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. Like when his Bronco got stolen, yeah. it was like him and all the team alpha male guys yeah. like hunting it down on Twitter and they got it back. Yeah. It's pretty, it, awesome. I mean, which is like an almost unheard of thing in stolen cars. Like they get chopped up or whatever happens to them. They get shipped off somewhere. It almost ne- like it never happens. And they were able to yeah. track it down and get it back. It's it pretty was, freaking cool. You got, yeah. you pretty much, you got to like, follow I'll never him. forget the picture of him <laughs> standing on top of the Bronco when they got it back. And it was, it's like one of the best things I've ever seen. Yeah, it's pretty um, freaking cool. What a great guy. Yeah. Like, Awesome. Uh, it was really super interesting to hear him talk about Dana White. You know, everybody talks about how Scott Coker is such a fighter's mm-hmm. coach, and Dana White doesn't get that reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, but to hear Dana White do something like that, you know, Clay Guida, like he he said himself, he's like, I'm not a huge star, you know, mm-hmm. blah 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 blah, and and he's not Conor McGregor mm-hmm. who gets his fair share of perks from right. the UFC. But to see like Dana White do something uh like that is pretty cool yeah uh, no it's a ni- it's a nice little gesture for sure absolutely and what he was saying about kyle snyder if, um remembering correctly huh. kyle snyder went to ufc 203 oh did he uh as a as a fan yeah because uh he wrestles at ohio state uh, and I, i'm pretty sure if i don't remember what the, he said in the tweet but i'm pretty sure he tweeted something about like saying that he was interested that's cool in fighting in the ufc awesome so i don't know if you got if you got I mean, that, two or three was like over a year ago at yeah. this point so i don't you know who knows what's coming of that um, that would be that's awesome. Something he's working for. We've seen somebody like Aaron Pico make the transition. So yeah. 
Um, it's not it's not out of the realm that he could make the jump. Well, he's a young guy. Yeah, he's he he can definitely do it, man. You see what the wrestlers at the at that level do when they get into it relatively late, like Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, Daniel Cormier. They become some of the best ever, right? So yeah, if he's got the interest, if he's got the mentality, yeah, he can do some great things. But man, Clay Guida, what a what a great uh, conversation. Yeah, he, he's he's awesome, man. He. Uh, He's uh he's just, he's a real blast when we found him uh, personally and he really he really does make time for for everyone like he was he said nice words about us but man I've, everyone has stories about this guy being really great to them like the first time they meet him because he'll be when he's in town he'll be at like at a bar watching UFC with his date or his friends and all night long people are going over to him he'll be at the Bears game and everyone you look at like Instagram everyone has pictures with him or at the Cubs game he just he really uh. He really gives back, which is cool. It's cool to see. He was the he was the first fighter that one of the first fighters I got to spend time with when I started writing professionally back in two thousand five. We'd already uh, known each other. He wasn't in the UFC yet. Um, the UFC at the time had gotten rid of the lightweight division, a real travesty. And he was a guy fighting in the local scene. He was fighting like ugh, Mike. Some once he fought four times. Like he was fighting almost every weekend. Uh, him and his brother Jason were just huge local favorites. Uh, he got a couple big breaks. Like they got to fight Josh Thompson and Strike Force. I think they thought they were leading him to slaughter, and he, he dominated Josh Thompson. And then when the UFC came, he finally got his. Uh, came back with the lightweight division. He finally got his chance. I think it was October 2006. And I remember being at that event, being with him actually leading up all the way until he walked into the locker room and then afterwards and, and him and his team at the time and seeing how excited and hamped up he was, uh, he immediately got the, the fans, you know, on their on their feet, just like he did when he was uh, on, the lo- on the local scene. And then he really never stopped giving back in, in, in these small and big ways. Like he always has time for people. So it's pretty cool. I, I really, really hate that him and Joel Lozan are fighting. This is something I hope neither one of them listened to. I didn't mention to them when they were on uh, because I don't want them to be, you know, whatever. I don't want to be awkward. Joel Lozan's also a friend. Uh, it, it sucks because they're both amazing guys and they're both amazing fighters. And they both are like have so much heart that they can give and take beatings. Uh, so it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough one to watch as much as it's gonna be an amazing one to watch because it's gonna be really entertaining. Yeah, the uh, it, it'll be definitely entertaining, and I, I'm glad that it you know it means so much to him to do in front of the veterans and hopefully or the the servicemen and hopefully there will be a lot of them there. Um, yeah. But also, we, we, you know, we're talking about Clay Guida and the Cubs like. He was on, I just was remembering like he was on the news. <laughs> I think during the World Series right. run, like he'll just be he's out yeah. there with people. Yeah, he's he was going to he was going to L.A. for like for games too from North uh, Northern California down to L.A. with friends. Like he's a committed. He's not just like at home watching it, like making sure he's at home from practice. Like he's flying and the thing down. from fanatics. <laughs> exactly. We should enter him in the fan side of fan of the year. Well, yeah, that's actually <laughs> not a bad idea, Clay. Clay, I'll send you the link. Yeah, that'd be um, awesome. So, this brings us to the end of the show. What do you have coming on Flow Combat this week? Uh, nothing for Flow Combat this week directly. We've got um, Mike Pendleton mentioned earlier the Kevin Lee stuff. I've got a story I've been working on for a long time. It's just been a really busy time. But I've got a story about um, that Kevin Lee weight cut, more specifically about Nevada regulations. Um, that's going to be – I can't say it's going to be in, uh, thrilling, but it's, it's going to be extremely substantial because we're going to have information there for fans, for, for fighters, for managers that just hasn't been out there in the past. All the confusion about where Kevin Lee got that additional hour. When no, has anyone else been given that hour since early weigh-ins are happening in Nevada? We've got answers to all those questions. That will be coming out from MixedMartialArts.com either late this week or early next week. And tomorrow, I um, won't have anything coming out from it immediately, but tomorrow uh, flying to Denver to Matt Brown's uh, training camp. He's also on this November 11th card. This card is crazy good. He's fighting Diego Sanchez, another human highlight reel. Um, so that's going to be interesting. I'm going to spend a few days in Denver with Matt Brown. This is going to be the last training camp of his entire career before he transitions into coaching full-time and uh, that's i'm really looking forward to that seeing what kind of stories you can get from that so that'll be a lot of fun i look forward to talking with you about it after i get back next week that'll be that'll be a lot of fun what do you got coming mike um right now i have you coming in studio tomorrow or or calling in i'm not sure but i have you coming on the show and i'm working on a few others for we're doing three weeks of uh, previewing ufc 217 so sweet and then I got my column on Thursday, so that's all. That's all we got. I got to read that column, man. I'm excited. I'm excited because it agrees with Just something that I said. A lot of me <laughs> sharing my thoughts. It's good. On things. Good thoughts. Um, we we bounce around from different things, but tomorrow's a lot of me just 
This is what I think. <laughs> so thank you, everyone, for tuning in once again. We always appreciate it. You can check us out on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you listen to podcasts and subscribe. The video is uploaded to YouTube. And if you're listening, you can watch the show live on the Sports Illustrated MMA Facebook page every week at 3 p.m. Eastern. Thank you so much, everybody. We will see you next week.